You're listening to Past and Present, the Colonial Williamsburg podcast. Hi, welcome to the podcast. I'm Harmony Hunter. This time of year, our imaginations are filled with images of graves, coffins, and graveyards. This week on the show, we're out to prove that the truth can be just as fascinating as fiction when it comes to the macabre. (laughs) Here with us now is public services librarian Julie Clark, who unearthed a body of interesting facts when she approached the topic of burial shrouds. Julie, thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. Well, you are a research librarian at the John D. Rockefeller Library. Tell us where this question of shrouds starts. For you. Well, it started because a uh, person who led a group in the historic area got a question, and the question was, what were people buried in in the 18th century? And the group leader said, oh, they were buried in their best clothes. And someone in the group said, hey, wait a minute, what about shrouds? And so the group leader was like, uh-oh. So he, he contacted me, and so I was like, I I don't know. So I started doing some research, and uh, that's sort of how it all, all got started, was, was a question from someone who, who was here visiting. It's so wonderful because it lets us talk about so many different aspects of society and burial. And before we talk about shrouds specifically or your best clothes, just to understand the um, context of burials in the 18th century, what do we need to understand about the business of burials and funerals then versus today? Well, there wasn't much of a business of funerals. If you were lived in a, a town, you might ha- you might have the assistance of the cabinet maker or furniture maker who would make your coffin and probably be able to furnish a cart to put the coffin in and the body and and move you to the graveyard. Uh, but most people didn't live in in towns. Most people lived in the country. And so they were pretty independent and had to work out whatever they could to, to make, it, uh, make the funeral happen. And I actually have kind of an interesting quotation about that because um, James Blair, who was a reverend, Reverend James Blair, who was at Bruton Parish Church in the early 1700s, um, wrote in a letter to one of the, uh, his English the English bishop, the Bishop of London, uh, a letter he was sort of talking about, he was talking about burying and, and the problems that it, it had for, for Virginians, and said, what through want of ministers, what by their great distance and the heat of the weather and the smelling of the corpse, both to bury at other places than churchyards and to employ laics to read this funeral service. Basically what he's saying there is, there aren't that many ministers around. People live very, in, you know, very far apart from each other, and we've got to bury the bodies as fast as we can. If there's not a minister around, then a laic or a, a family member or friend um, that is not a clergyman would uh, read the service out of the Book of Common Prayer, and there would not be a, a clergy person available. And so he's kind of writing explaining this to the Bishop of London because, of course, in England, probably finding a minister was not a problem. But, yes, there was, there was very little in terms of a, a funeral business. Oh, but I did find one, though, in, um, in Philadelphia, a much bigger city than Williamsburg, and that was in um, 
mid-17th century. And how I found him was through a newspaper advertisement. And um, his advertisement was something to the effect of uh, James White, upholsterer and undertaker, lately arrived from London. So you see we have somebody here that's, that's coming from a different culture, a more sophisticated culture. And it goes on about how he makes all sorts of furniture for beds, etc. And finally, he finishes up by saying, Also, funerals furnished, and shrouds ready-made, pinked as in London, or plain and ple pleated, and sheets. So that's kind of the closest to a, a funeral director, as we might find. So he mentions shrouds. Let's talk mm -hmm. about shrouds. Who would have been buried in a shroud? What did a shroud consist of? What was the practicality of it? What have you learned? Mm -hmm. Most everybody was buried in shrouds in the 18th century, uh, but the um, how how nice the shroud was or how detailed would totally depend on the person person dying. If it was a poor person, it might be a very a rough, cheap fabric. If it was the Governor Lord Botetot, who died here in Williamsburg, it was silk. So, so the shroud, you know, would vary. And then, of course, if it was a shroud for an important person, it might have the ruffles and pleats and so forth. If it was for a poor person, it might just be the most simple of of gowns, kind of a kind of like a nightgown that would be open all the way down the back. It would have sleeves that would cover your hands. And right underneath your hands would be like a, a ribbon or string that would tie so that your hands would be enclosed. And it would cover your, all, your way, all the way down your legs and then underneath your feet, again, that it would be tied off, like a, sort of like a bag. There would be a hole for your head. Your, head would, 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 your face would be, would be there to be seen. And I guess this, again, would probably depend on the wealth of the person. A little cap over your head to cover your, your hair, I suppose, and that would tie under your chin. And it would be all, all in white linen or satin or silk. Or. This is fascinating to me because whenever I picture a shroud, I always imagined it just sort of being a sheet that people were wrapped in. I never imagined something so tailored mm -hmm. uh, with, with all these embellishments. And they had to sew it up as fast as they could. And maybe, I don't know if they would start when they realized the person was close to death or if they would wait till the person was dead. Ready-made shrouds, of course, was, were offered by this, this uh, tradesman in Philadelphia. But yeah, they, um, they were, um, you know, they were definitely a garment. Uh, they did have something else which they called winding sheets. And that, I think, probably is maybe more what you're thinking of, which is sort of be wound around the body. Now, why a shroud? Why not the best clothes? Well, clothing was pretty difficult to get. I mean, and, and the best clothes, you would want to probably pass those on to your, your children or to someone else who could wear them and get some good out of them. And so that's, that's part of the reason. I have a, a real cute story, um, and this is a family story from the Nelson family of Yorktown, that when Mrs. Nelson was getting ready to die in 1830, and this is the, the wife of the governor, Thomas Nelson, who owned you know, the large home in, in Yorktown. Uh, when she was just, just a few days away from death, 
she told her family, she said, don't bury me in my new dress. And, and, the fam and so the story goes, the family laughed and said, oh no, we'll find all kinds of old rags to dress you in. So she was, you know, she was very economy-minded. Clearly, she wanted that new dress to, to get worn by someone who could actually show it off. So, so that was, you know, that people just had to, you know, they had, they were very practical. How do we know what we know about burials and shrouds? What are some of the research sources that you were able to reach to when you got this question? Well, one of the first things I looked at was the archaeology because um, there was a burial ground behind the palace of Revolutionary War soldiers. And this was excavated in 1930, when you know, very earliest excavations for Colonial Williamsburg. And they found a soldier's burying ground. And people said, well, you know, these are, these are soldiers. I'm sure they would be buried in their uniforms with their buttons, etc." Well, oddly enough, only a very few of those uh, grave sites actually had buttons. So they have assume that no, I mean, well, they can't, they didn't assume it. It was like, there's no buttons in this, in this coffin or in this hole, depending on whether they were buried in a coffin or not. And um, so we cannot say that they were buried in their uniforms. And buttons would have been a big deal on a soldier's uniform. Mm -hmm. What would they have indicated their um, unit that they might have? Mm -hmm. Yes. And they would have been brass or other metal. Mm -hmm. So they that would have the, survived when... When uh, fabric would have disintegrated. Okay. Yes. And so that's, that, was, that was the cue that they were not in uniform. They didn't have their buttons. The, and of course, the archaeologists looked for any kind of printed documentation they could find. And they found that the public store was furnishing an awful lot of something called Osnabrig, which was a very coarse linen to the hospitals in large amounts. And now Osnabrig would have been used for the sheets, for instance. And so... Why did they need so many sheets? And the uh, archaeologists surmised that perhaps they used the sheets that when the person died to wrap the body. And so that would be more a winding sheet idea than a shroud. But still, it would be not buried in their clothes. But perhaps the few people who were buried in their clothes, there must have been a good reason. And that, the, you know, they couldn't, very little was, could be surmised from what they found. So archaeology is one source. You've also found um, newspaper advertisements, mm -hmm. and it sounds like some personal accounts, some letters mm -hmm. that told you more about the, the business of burial and, and the habits of our, of our 18th century forebears. Yes. Um, I have a couple of interesting things. I told you the story of Lucy Grimes Nelson, but there was a will that we have a copy of, and uh, it's a 1749 will of Leroy Griffin. My body is to be deposited in the earth, its natural mother, in the following manner. So soon as a coffin can be prepared, I desire that six of the neighboring gentlemen, my intimate acquaintance, may convey me to the place appointed for my reception. And the minister perform the burial service without sermon. And for this service, I give a mourning ring of 20 shillings value to the minister and to each of the six gentlemen that performed the last office of friendship to me. 
I'll have no ceremonious pomp, but a dinner prepared for the gentlemen, and they to be entertained in the same manner as if I myself was present. And I earnestly forbid that any expense be made as to mourning, except for my wife, because I look upon it as a needless and very extraordinary charge in a large family. So again, the practicality. And interestingly, he wants a minister to read the service, and he's going to give him a ring that's worth 20 shillings. But if he had asked for a sermon, that would have been 40 shillings. So he's saving money even in his will in several ways. That's wonderful. Yeah, because there was also a questionnaire sent from the Bishop of London to all the ministers in the seven, early 1700s asking them questions about their, their uh, um, place of, of work, their, their parish. And one of the questions is, how do you make money? What, where does your money come from? And mostly they said, we get 40 shillings for a sermon, a funeral sermon. And they listed, of course, a lot of other things, but, but that 40 shillings seemed to, to come up a good bit. That's going right. Yeah. This sounds like this is a question that led to a lot of interesting areas of research. Well, is there something that surprised you particularly as you uncovered the answer to this question? Well, I really enjoyed the story of, of Lucy Nelson, of course. And another thing I found interesting was I, I found a little tiny bit about slave funerals. And this, these would have been, this information really came from archaeology and a little bit from the laws surrounding funerals. And that was that the, um, apparently, funerals seemed to be an opportunity that where a lot of slaves would gather to mourn the departed person. And this was looked upon with fear from the owners. And so they were like, so laws were made, we don't, you know, not too many, you know, just a small group of people, like five, could, could come to the funeral. Uh, the now, whether this happened in real life, and some minute, some owners would say, sure, you know, everybody can go. I don't know. But certainly that was the rule. And then they would be, the, a uh, slave graveyard was excavated in James City County in the Carter's Grove area. And they found that the African-American slaves were mostly buried in coffins, which would have been a European thing. But in their coffins, they found things like maybe a pipe and tobacco that they would, you know, for the, for the dead person to have something to do, you know, or perhaps their favorite item of, of clothing. They found someone with a, a glass necklace, necklace be, beads of glass, um, or perhaps a gift to their ancestors. That was, that was the other item and that they and perhaps that would be the pipe as well so so that you know very you know very touching little things that found and that was not an, a European uh, custom at all it would have been their own we always love hearing from our friends at the library because you bring us such, uh, such wonderful and surprising stories and show us uh, what can be learned with a little bit of research. Mm -hmm. So thank you for being our guest today. And we want to remind all of our listeners that the same discoveries await them at the John D. Rockefeller Library. You can learn more by clicking on the link at history.org or you can visit the library in person when you're here and talk to one of these wonderful research experts uh, and see what, see what they can
can help you find in your own search. So Julie, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Harmony, for asking me. Thanks for listening. We're always glad to hear your feedback. Send us an email at podcast.history.org.